I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello there, and welcome to another edition of the Working Conversations podcast, where I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson, sharing ideas with you on how to make your workplace communication and life just a little bit better. Well, today on the podcast, we're doing something just a little bit different. In addition to podcasting and writing and training, I also do a fair amount of speaking. Recently, a number of my clients have invited me in to speak to their organizations, sometimes virtually, although increasingly a little bit in person, but to talk to their folks about how to talk to employees about returning to the office, whether that's a full-time return to the office or a hybrid work environment where folks are working from home some days of the week and in the office other days of the week. And so today what I thought I would do is share one of those talks that I gave recently. Again, this has been a popular topic. I've given this one quite a number of times recently, but I wanted to share this one with you as today's podcast. So again, it's a little bit different because you're going to hear me talking to a different audience, but I'm also talking to you because I had you in mind when I recorded this session. All right, enjoy. I want to just spend a moment as we step into this discussion about how to talk to your employees about returning to the office to really set the context. So as you think about where we are at this particular point in time, this particular specific inflection point in work life, staff is coming back to the building and their response is going to vary immensely. You're going to have some who are super excited to be back in the building, some less so, shall we say, and some downright resistant to it. Uh, we're not going backward. This is really important that employees understand that we are not going back to the way things were prior to the pandemic. So much has changed in terms of how work is organized, in terms of our levels of trust of employees, and in terms of literally the health and safety of workers. And so we can't go back to how things were in early March 2020. We are going forward into a new frontier, a new way of designing work, and a new way of experiencing work as you think about it from the employee's perspective. And really how you position it, the words that you choose and the way you communicate what this brave new world is going to look like is going to make all the difference in the world to your staff. So I want you to be intentional about it. Um, for some of you, you might say, whoa, wait a minute, it's too late. My staff are already starting to come back to the office or I've already started to talk to them about it. That is fine. You can continue to build on that message. You can continue to change and craft. And as we know, COVID keeps changing everything all the time. And now with the Delta variant nipping at our heels, we've got plenty of reasons to be retooling our communication plan, retooling how we're sharing information with employees. So don't worry if you've already started the conversation. Really do think of it as an in-progress conversation that is going to continue to shift and change as we move through these next few months. And again, I want to really stress the idea that this is an exciting new frontier, and it is up to you in terms of how you define it. And it starts with how you talk to your employees about it. 
And as I mentioned, your employees are going to have a variety of different reactions of returning to the office. You may have some who are super excited to be in the office full time. Now, these folks may be people who like it. I got an email from somebody just the other day. I have an upcoming podcast episode on the dark side of working from home. And she shared with me in this email how she's an engineer, she's single, and all throughout the pandemic when her offices were closed and she wasn't able to go into the office, she didn't get to see her boyfriend, she didn't get to see any of her immediate family members, and she didn't even have a pet. So she was incredibly isolated. And she, like many others, have told me, you know, one thing the pandemic has taught me is I'm far less introverted than I thought I was. So you may have those folks who are really excited to come back to the office. In addition, you may have the people, not necessarily the people who are single and living alone, but you may have the people who've been longtime employees whose work, um, you know, their coworkers have become their work friends and their work friends have become their real friends and they've been missing their real friends. So you, those are another component of your really excited people who are so thrilled to be coming back into the office. Then you've got the people who are really okay with coming back to the office part-time and working a hybrid schedule. They're excited to see their colleagues once in a while, but they also know that maybe they get some of their best focus work done when they're at home and they don't have the distractions of the office. Now, there's a variety of other reasons why they might be excited about being back in the office some of the time, but not all of the time. So there's a certain cadre, and I wish I could give you exact percentages on these, but the numbers keep shifting as people's attitudes continue to change. I'm watching the numbers all the time. Pew Research is doing work on this, and many other organizations are, and I'm always watching the numbers, but they keep shifting. So I never feel confident actually sharing the numbers on who, you know, what percentage of employees are excited to go back to the office versus those who are excited about hybrid. And then, of course, you've got those who don't want to be in the office at all, and for a variety of reasons working from home has really suited them, whether it's suited their lifestyle, suited their work style, or a combination of the two. So you're going to have this broad range of experiences and anticipation levels of going back into the office. And as you think about how you're going to be communicating with your staff about the plan to come back to the office, I want you to keep in mind that you're going to have you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other and everybody in the middle as well. So as you're planning how you think about how you're going to make announcements, how you're going to make plans, how you're going to talk about scheduling, just remember that you've got at least these three personas in the mix. And again, probably lots of shades of variance in between these three as well. Now, I want to just share with you, I'm going to structure the rest of our time together this afternoon. I'm going to share with you some things that you should literally tell your employees. So straight up tell. I'm going to talk about some things that you need to explain to your employees where there's more background and rationale that's needed. And then I'm also going to share some things that you should be asking your employees about as you prepare to re-enter the workforce or re-enter the co-located work, uh, workspace. And... Uh, because there's a couple of things, a couple of unique turns of phrase that you can use that will really make all the difference, I'm going to share a little bonus material at the end, so be sure to stick around until the end so that you get that bonus turn of phrase that, again, can really make all the difference in how you position the, uh, the explanation of what your plan is for return to the office. Now, I know a lot of places are going to a hybrid approach, and that is driven by um, on because of a number of different factors. So let's let's start there because this is going to be the tell piece. 
And I want you to be thinking about the schedule. So many of you are going to have a schedule that is going to rotate people through the office, whether they're in the office one day a week or half of the week or one week on, one week off. There is going to be some scheduling component that you're going to need to be thinking about. And I want you to tell them what the schedule is rather than ask them what they want their schedule to be. Now, here's why. And these are the factors I want you to think about. I want you to think about employee tenure. So how long has this particular employee been in that role? How long has the employee been with your organization on the whole? And then what is their track record of delivering their work? When I talk to managers and supervisors, by and large, people are saying, yes, my employees have impressed me with their ability to work from home, especially in sectors where we maybe thought they wouldn't be as accountable, except for when they don't. And so you may have some folks reporting to you whom, if we were not in a pandemic situation and they asked to have a work from home schedule or a part-time work from home schedule, you would probably give them a flat out no because their performance doesn't merit it. So you really need to be thinking about that. There are some employees who just do require a higher level of supervision, and that can be related to a variety of factors. Some of them are just more social creatures and they're going to get work done better when they're in a context of having other people around them. So again, we want to make sure we're taking into account these three things. And now, since I've been asking about and talking about uh, that hybrid schedule, I want to use the chat here and ask you a quick question in the chat. And I want to know um, how many of you are planning on a hybrid? You can just give me a Y for yes or N for no. Are you planning on having some hybrid variety where people are coming into the office some days of the week, but not other days of the week or a week on week off, that sort of thing? Okay. I'm starting to see some of the responses come in. And so far, everybody that has responded has given a yes, a yes. Okay. So as you think about that schedule and that rotation, again, I want you to think about employee tenure. When you think about employee tenure, one of the rules of thumb to think about might be those employees who were either onboarded during the pandemic or those employees who have been with your organization, uh, let's say a year or year and a half. So, you know, again, still kind of around the pandemic beginning who don't have the pattern of behavior, the, um, the wherewithal to kind of know what it's like to be in the office and who might need a little bit more coaching and onboarding help. And maybe they've picked up the functional pieces of their role really well and they're doing those great from home, but they don't always know the the quintessential sort of how we do it here. And so having them in the office a bit more, at least to start, can really help them come into the cultural fold of your organization faster and better than if they were on a regular rotation. So even if that's just one extra day a week, making the time and space to make that happen. So another piece of telling them and and the schedule is to really think about the nature of the work. And as you map the the role and to the nature of the work, some roles are highly collaborative. And those folks may need to be in the office a bit more than those whose work is highly independent and not very interdependent. So as you think about the levels of collaboration in the role, the level of focus work that that individual may need with his, uh, you know, free from distraction, which may be better suited to working at home for some, but not for all, depending on their individual uh, circumstances in their home office life. And then the interdependency 
of their role with other roles. And again, that kind of speaks to collaboration. Now, some people have proven to be able to do collaboration brilliantly when working from home. Uh, so you do need to take into account the person as well as the nature of the work. But from a fairness standpoint, you do really want to, as best you can, keep it role-based rather than individual-based. Because if you've got somebody who's highly capable working from home and collaborating really well from home, and that person moves on and leaves your organization, and that role is then thought of as one that could easily be done from home, but then the next person who comes to to fill that role isn't as adept at working from home and especially at collaborating from home, you may get yourself into some trouble. So you really do want to think about role-based and the nature of the work related to that role. And again, this is where you're telling your employee what's kind of how this is going to go down. And then the third and increasingly, well, I mean, it was critical before and then it was not so critical. And now it's becoming critical again with the Delta variant, health and safety. So what are your plans for social distancing? What are your plans for office space being thoroughly cleaned in between uh, one person dropping down at that workstation and another person dropping down at the next workstation. You might also think logistically here with regard to health and safety. Are you going to leave your office design as is and then just checkerboard where people sit? So I'm always sitting in the same desk, but the desks on either side of me are empty. And then on the days when I'm not there, the people who are seated, who, who uh, you know typically have those desks are there and I'm not leaving that space in between. Are you going to do it like that? Or are you going to move to a, uh, a situation where you've just got fewer desks or maybe even a smaller commercial real estate footprint to begin with? And you're going to have people dropping in for a day or two at a time in a more hotel-like capacity where they don't always get the same, maybe they get the same desk, but they're sharing that desk with other people. So they're not going to be leaving their personal effects on the desk. They're not going to be leaving, you know, pictures that their children made for them or their family holiday photos and things and their, you know, tchotchkes and so forth on the desk because that those are going to obviously carry germs and we don't want that from one person to the next. So what's the cleaning protocol? What is the um, workspace protocol? And then what are the requirements for personal protective equipment? Will you be masking? And again, as the Delta variant picks up speed, we're starting to see organizations go back to masking even after they had stopped masking for a while. So you might also include in health and safety some considerations about the vaccine. And I know sometimes that can be very controversial to require employees to be vaccinated, but that is, again, a consideration that I'm sure your organization is dealing with, but you need to be conscientious about how you're communicating that to employees, as well as being ready to anticipate questions from employees about those kinds of things. So this part is really a tell. You really need to tell them what the plan is going to be. Now, a quick example and further elucidation of this would be to share that information in real time. Now, you might follow it up with an email that says, here's our plan. But when you can share that information real time, hopping into a Zoom call or a WebEx or Microsoft Teams or whatever your platform of choice is, use that and use your voice and ideally turn your camera on too so that your employees can hear the positive intent, the goodwill, and all of the the emotional parts that come along with this message that get missed when we're using email. And in fact, while I'm talking about it, let me just say that with so much happening via text, 
whether that's text messages or email or the the text, the chat in your Microsoft Teams meetings and so forth. With so much happening in a text-based environment, we are losing the, the additional nuance that goes with the messaging. And something as highly sensitive as this, as our re-entry to the office plan, really needs that additional context and that those additional social cues that you're going to get from using your voice and your face to help communicate that message. So we are running the risk of becoming entirely too transactional in our communication by putting so much in text only, again, documents, emails, and, and the like. So we need to move up the fidelity of the message platform using audio and video as well. And it really does increase the opportunity for human moments because you might have somebody who is who asks a question during that Teams meeting and is clearly and audibly upset about the policy. You can hear that in their voice and then you can respond accordingly. You can respond with empathy. You can respond in a way that definitely shows you care. When we have only text-based and when we're sending this stuff back and forth, we really do run the risk of not only miscommunication, but of damaging relationships by moving to transactional only. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. Now, let's move on. So that's the that's the tell. Tell them what the schedule is going to be. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're not asking them for some input. You certainly may. But as it relates to rolling out a schedule, that really needs to be the organization's decision. So now that leads us nicely into number two. Point number two, this is the explain part. This is where you're going to add some additional information and, and explain how decisions are made around scheduling and any other things that relate to entering back into the office. So I want you to think about what your organizational needs are and set the expectation. Here's where you're explaining. The reason the schedule is the way the schedule is, is because of our organizational need. Our clients need to see us face-to-face -face sometimes, if that's true. Um, or our relationships with one another need to be strengthened, so we need to be in the office. Or senior leaders would like to see us using this space that is that we're you know paying commercial rent on. I mean, sometimes it is that straightforward, but there should probably be more more than we need to see you once in a while. But set the set the stage for those organizational needs leading the way with regard to scheduling, and that the organizational need for the schedule as well as personal safety comes first and that that is the primary driver of the schedule. So you want to explain that. Now there may be other factors that are going that are going to be at play for your organization as well. For example, if commercial real if your your commercial real estate footprint has shrunk 
during the pandemic, you want to make sure that you're bringing that to bear on how the scheduling is happening and that everybody can't be in the same space at the same time. Or they might not be, and this is one of the one of the critical ones, they might not be at work on the same day that their work BFF is. So you may have some emotional reaction to what the scheduling is that you maybe didn't see coming. That might come really from, from out of left field a bit. Um, and so also related to this, as you're explaining how decisions are made, be open and transparent and let staff know how the decision-making process goes and if their input is going to be used. Now, I know some places, in fact, if you watch what's happening in some of the high-tech um, companies, especially out in Silicon Valley, where they've said, oh, make up your own schedule. And now many of those companies are backpedaling and saying, whoa, this isn't working. We're not getting the dynamics that we need amongst our employees, and we're not serving our customers the way we need to be serving our customers. So you're starting to see some of those organizations that said that had a very open policy, pull back on that a little bit and put some more control and boundaries around it. But if you can and accommodate staff requests, then by, by all means, ask for them, but be open and transparent about how those requests are going to be managed. So you might say, I, I'd like to gather you know, your desired schedule. I am not promising that you can get that desired schedule, but I would like to see what days of the week work best for you, and I'll do my best to accommodate that. Or I would like to see which days of the week you wouldn't want to be in the office, and I'll do my best to accommodate that. Um, your, your employees are going to have all kinds of needs that you can't see. Um, some of the people who desperately want to go back to the office is because they are so sick and tired of sharing workspace with their partner or spouse. And so they desperately want to come back into the office, but they want to make sure they're coming back into the office on the days that their spouse is working from home and vice versa. So sometimes you might be able to accommodate those requests, especially if it's sort of a 50-50 split. It's Tuesday, Thursday, and every other Friday or something like that. But be open and transparent about how the decision-making process is going to go and how their input is going to be used. And then really over-communicate. In this, I mean, the uncertainty and ambiguity of this time, of course, has ebbed considerably from what it was 15, 16 months ago. We're not nearly as, well, I mean, we know a lot more from, from a science perspective to um, a workplace management and productivity standpoint. We know so much more than we did back in March, April, May of 2020. But still, I want you to take on the idea of over-communicating and sharing updates and details on the return to office plan, even when there are no updates. Because as you may know, and in fact, give me a why in the chat if you can relate to this, you may know that employees, when there is a vacuum of information, there's not enough information, they go into a mode that I call making stuff up, MSU. Making now for for today, I'm using the word stuff, but there's a more colorful word that I sometimes put in in that phrase, making stuff up. And some of your employees, and some of I mean, it's it's human. We do this. We fill in a void with a story, and oftentimes that story doesn't serve us. It doesn't usually paint the organization in a strong light as well. But some of us have like master's degrees and PhDs from MSU. We're making stuff up left, right, and center. So even when there are no updates, maybe senior leadership hasn't told you what the next phase of the plan is going to be. Just let your employees know that because if too much time goes by without them hearing what the, you know, what the plan is, they're going to worry one of two things. One is either there was some communication and they missed it, or two, you're withholding information. You've got some information and you're just not sharing it with them. So the more you can over-communicate, again, even when you don't know what the answer is or what the plan is, that can really help quell that uncertainty and ambiguity 
and help people from making stuff up. All right, now let's give an explanation of that. Like maybe one of the things that you do, or an example, I should say, one of the things that you're going to embrace is what I call all for one and one for all. And that's the idea that if one, even just one person is participating in a meeting online, then the whole meeting moves to an online format instead of half a dozen of us around a conference room table with one person on the Zoom or on the Microsoft Teams. If even just one person is not going to be able to be present, then our meeting happens virtually. Even if most of us are sitting at our desks within proximity to each other, we're just going to pop those earbuds in and be present online. Now, and I call that taking the meeting in boxes or the entire meeting taking place in boxes, sort of Brady Bunch style, if you will. And the reason for that is that it creates more of an equitable playing field. And now if you go into the Wayback Machine and you remember what it was like prior to the pandemic and prior to so many people working from home, when there were those onesie twosies who were either working from home, working from field offices, working from regional offices and so forth, they felt so out of the loop in those meetings when they were the only person or just a couple of people uh, dialed into the meeting through technology. And we run the risk of actually going back to that format if we let meetings continue where there's a cadre of people who are together in the room and then just a handful of people who are not. So so this might be an example of where you explain that. And now as you think about your explanation, you could back that up with some data. And so here's some really interesting data. Prior to the pandemic, when there was the percentage of meetings that had one or more remote participants was eight. 8% of meetings that were held prior to the pandemic had somebody logged in via WebEx, logged in via Teams, although hardly hardly anybody was using Teams back then. Teams was just, just coming online. Um, and now that has changed significantly. So currently, present day, meetings that have one or more remote participants you can take a guess in the chat if you want. Anybody want to take a guess at what the number of percentage of meetings are that have one or, or that have uh, one or more participants who are remote these days? All right, I see a couple people guessing seventy-five. All right, here comes the big reveal. All right, Darlene's getting closer. Darlene says ninety. Jeff says ninety. It's ninety-eight. Ninety-eight percent, and yet Joella says one hundred. But ninety-eight percent of meetings these days have at least one or more remote participants. And so again, you'd want to explain, we want to keep the playing field even. We want to make sure everybody has a voice because there's lots of people who will who maybe wouldn't speak up in a meeting in when you were co-located, but they may type in the chat. They may find other ways of participating. They may use a poll. They may do you know a variety of different things to actually participate in that meeting. So you want to make sure that uh, you know, again, this is just simply an example of something that you might do and then an explanation that you would put with it so that employees really understand uh, why. Okay, now, number three. So, so far we've got a tell and explain and here comes about here comes the ask. Ask them about their concerns. Now, we already covered you may want to ask them about their schedule preferences if that works for you from a scheduling standpoint. But ask them about their concerns. And those concerns will fall into largely two buckets. One bucket is going to be their concerns for being on site. And those concerns are going to have to do with safety. They're going to ask about PPE. They're going to ask about distancing. They're going to ask about vaccines. 
And so they're going to have concerns about that. Some of them may have people who are in their life who cannot get a vaccine. For example, I have a child right now who is 10, not yet eligible for the vaccine. And so would that make a difference? And for some of your employees, it might, especially if they have smaller children or if they have people who have immune compromised systems and a variety of things, it really may make a difference. So that safety concern is something that might come up for them. They may have some scheduling concerns. That scheduling concern can be everything from commuting. And in fact, as we think about commuting, some people have downsized their number of cars. In fact, uh, I, I know of several families who've gone from two cars to one car because during this time of pandemic, they haven't hardly needed to leave their house except to go to the grocery store or uh, you know, out for a few errands. Now, of course, as things open back up, that has changed, but still, by and large, they are easily able to get by on one car. So you may have scheduling concerns. Um, it may also have to do with other types of transportation. Maybe they take public transit and they're concerned about health and safety on public transit. Maybe the schedule has changed, their bus schedule or their train schedule has changed, and it's not running as frequently anymore. So it's more challenging for them to figure out how, you know, when they need to leave the house, when to grab public transportation, how long is it going to get to take to work, and so forth. Um, they may have some concerns about connection, making connection with one another when they're on site as well. And usually these, con these connection concerns are going to be related to, I don't like that my schedule does not match my work BFF's schedule. Or sometimes it might be more work-related. I don't like that my schedule doesn't match somebody in a different department that I need to collaborate with because the two managers have not coordinated schedules. Um, it is, so there's a variety of different reasons that there could be some concerns about coming on site. And you really want to be able to listen to employees and hear those concerns. And the more you can be quiet as you really listen and take in their concerns, the better you are going to respond to those concerns in a way that actually demonstrates that you care and explains the rationale behind whatever uh, decisions might be made. Or and, and sometimes you won't have an answer. You'll just say, thank you so much for sharing that concern with me. I'm going to give that a think. I'm going to see what we can do about that. I can't promise you anything right now, but I really appreciate that you brought that concern to my attention because that wasn't something that I had thought of. And oftentimes that's going to be the case because as I have said since day one of this pandemic, we are all in it together, but we are all experiencing it very, very differently based on our family composition, based on our own individual health, based on you know which friends and family members have contracted COVID, lost their lives, are in immune compromised system situations, and on and on and on it goes. For some people, it's a mere inconvenience, and for some people, it has literally been a matter of life and death. And so remembering that there is this huge continuum as you listen to those concerns can really make the employee feel more heard and can give you valuable information that can help inform next steps. You also want to ask your employees about their concerns that are related to um, working from home. Some of your employees have space issues at home, even this many months into it. I still, I heard somebody in a class I was teaching just the other day said, you know, if this keeps up one more month, if I have to work from home one more month, I'm actually going to buy a desk. And I thought, for goodness sakes, where have you been working? Now, of course, people have come up with creative situations like the kitchen table or uh, the folding counter in the laundry room for those who have a big fancy laundry room. And um, people have come up with creative solutions. But then there's also the person who is, 
you know, living in a one bedroom apartment with a baby and a dog and a spouse who's also working from home and having some serious space considerations. So they may be worried about their work from home situation and the space they have at home. Um, they may be concerned about getting enough face time with others in the organization. There's a fascinating piece of research that was done prior to the pandemic about people who worked full-time remotely versus people who worked full-time in the office. And the percentage of um, the, the likelihood, I should say, the likelihood that somebody in people, two people at the same level, same job, one's working exclusively from home, the other one's working exclusively in the office. The one who's working exclusively in the office is 50% more likely to get promoted than the one who is rarely seen because they're working from home. So they may have some legitimate concerns about, I need to be seen, especially for your movers and shakers and your high potential high performers. They may want to be in the office more than you're scheduling them because they want to get some FaceTime with senior leaders. They want to get some, you know, that, that FaceTime and building those relationships across the organization. And that leads to connection too. And sometimes it may be more that personal connection that people are missing. Again, with their colleague becomes their work friend, becomes their work BFF, and their concerns in working from home are, again, like they have been throughout the pandemic, I don't get to see those people and I miss them and I want to spend more time with them. Now, let's put an example to this. Let's contextualize this a little bit and let's talk about what you can lead with and how when you are asking and then, of course, listening, because once you ask, that is, you know, that is just 5%. And it's important 5%, but the other 95% is you listening intently to their answer. So lead with transparency. Again, as I mentioned before, the more you can be transparent, the more they will feel comfortable with whatever the decisions are because they'll know the some of the why behind it. So share the what and the when and the why as much as you can. Share as much data and information. Um, be empathetic. Again, remember your staff's experience is different from yours. It is absolutely different from yours. And uh, you know, as I was mentioning before, we're all in it together, but we're all experiencing it so differently. So make sure you're empathetic as you're asking and as you're listening. And try your very best to listen from a place where you are withholding judgment. Because you might hear some things that are wrong or some things that are hearsay or some things that are that you don't agree with that your employee is saying, but just really hear them out. Because the more you can hear them out and really understand their perspective, again, the better you're able to address their concerns, even if you can't necessarily mitigate or solve those concerns for them. And then use compassion. Change is a challenge for all of us. None of us particularly like change, even those of us who are reasonably adept at rolling with the punches when things do change. Um, so change is a challenge. And another thing is a challenge is not getting what you want. So an employee might not get the schedule they want. They might not get the workstation they want. They might not fill in the blank. There are so many things that they might not get. And again, the more compassionate you can be with them as you realize and understand their disappointment. And, and, and those of you who are parents, in fact, let me just, I want to just find out um, if we have any parents in the group. So I'm putting this in the chat. Parents, do we have any parents in the group? Uh, just give me a why if you're a parent or you can put in a number of how many kids you have. Either one works. I just want to see if we got some parents in the group. So, yep. Okay. So I see some yeses. I see some numbers coming in. We got three kids, two kids. Oh, a toddler. All right. So yes, we've got some, we've got some parents in the room. Now, if you have to deny your child something, if you can do that with compassion 
and that recognizes the disappointment. I mean, oh man, for those of us who have school-aged kids, this last 16 months has just been one exercise in disappointment after the next for kids from last summer, all sports and camps and everything being canceled. And then now this summer, it's like, well, you can't because you're not vaccinated or you can't because so-and-so is not vaccinated or you can't because of this. I mean, it's just been, again, one piece of disappointment seemingly layered on top of the next. And the more you can address that with compassion and go like, oh, I really understand your disappointment that you're not scheduled on the same day that Aaron is scheduled. If I and Aaron are close friends, then you might say, I, I really understand that you're disappointed about that. I totally get that. I know that the two of you have excellent rapport and you're great friends inside and outside of work. And then you're going to go back to that explanation. And the reason that we need you in on different days is because of X. Now, if the two, if, if I and my friend Aaron are just too chatty, don't hesitate to share that with me. Do it in a compassionate way. You know, I thought about putting you and Aaron on the schedule at the same time because I know the two of you are close. My concern was that the two of you might spend a lot of time being social together. And if that's if you can guarantee me that that's not the case, the next time I revise the schedule, I'll try to work you guys in so that at least one day a week you're together. Um, but whatever your explanation is, try to deliver that in the most po- in the most compassionate way possible, so that the employee again really feels heard, really feels understood, and so forth. All right, so you now have your tell, your explain, and your ask. And I promised a bonus piece of information. So here is your bonus. The bonus is this. The bonus is the word because. All right, there is magic in the word because. All right, a professor at Harvard University named Ellen Langer did this study. Now, this study was uh, done back in the 1970s, but it has been replicated in a variety of forms since then. But I want to share the original research with you. So you see the copy machine here. So back in the day when she was doing this this research, it wasn't necessarily a fancy printer copier like you see here in this stock photo, but instead it was a good old fashioned Xerox machine. And I guarantee there's at least a few people who are on this session who are like a Xerox, what? A hootie whatie? Uh, that was a, a copy machine. You didn't send things to the printer. If you sent it to the printer, then it came off the printer and then you had to walk over to the copy machine and put it in the copy machine to make as many copies as you wanted. And so Erin Langer ran this study where she had people basically butt the line, ask to go to the front of the line. And she did it in three different ways. She set up her experiment with three different types of asks. And again, for those of you who are... Uh, you know, give or take my age by a decade or older, you're going to remember standing in line, waiting to use. In in fact, I want to know in the chat, who can remember standing in line? Uh, I'm going to try to type this standing. Yes. How many of you can remember standing in line? Okay. So, yep. I'm seeing some yeses come through. Jeff says yes. So remember standing in line. Chad says yes. Me too. Okay. Kit says yes. So standing in line, waiting to use the copy machine. David says, of course. Okay. So imagine somebody basically asking to butt the line. So you're not the per- you're not the person who's making the copies. You're the person who's first in line after them. And somebody comes up to you and says this. They come up to you and they say, uh, excuse me, I have five pages. May I use a Xerox machine? So that was one part of the experiment. So that was one of the control groups is, 
or one of the experimental groups was, they said, you know, I have five pages. May I use a Xerox machine? Now, probably a lot of us will think like, especially if we have to copy like a hundred pages and this person only needs five pages. Yeah, it's kind of like in the grocery store. If you see the person in line behind you only has one thing and you have a cart full, you might even invite them to go first. So it's that kind of an idea. And then a second question, a second, it was posed a second way. The second way it was posed was this, excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine because I'm in a rush? Okay, note the word because, because this makes a difference in how the res- in, in the responses that people got. So that was yet a second way that they tested people's uh, um, likelihood to let the person go ahead of them. So there's a reason, because I'm in a rush. And it's, you know, it's an actual reason. I'm in a rush, I'm in a hurry. Can I please go ahead of you? And then the third way that the question was posed to ask to essentially go to the front of the line was this. Excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine? Because I have to make copies. Now, this is really a nonsense reason. It's not like because you're in a rush or because of anything rational. Of course you have to make copies. That's the reason you're in line. That's the reason you went to the copy room. In fact, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the idea, the copy room, the copier had its own room. It was called the copy room. And you would go to the copy room and stand in line waiting to make your copies. So this third scenario is a total nonsense excuse. Or I shouldn't say excuse, but a nonsense reason. Okay, now let's look at the percentage of people who said yes. All right. When there was no reason, that very first question, may I go, you know, may I go next? I have five pages. 60% of the time, people said yes. You know, five pages isn't that many. They said yes. 94% of the time, when the person had that, re- we're going to call it a real reason of being in a rush, people said yes. And astoundingly, 93% of the time, the people who used a fake reason, because I have to make copies, also were granted the position at the head of the line. And it, the commonality between those two is the word because. So because is this magic word, especially for those of you who, and many of you in in this audience are working with technical people. Technical people want explanations. They want rationale. They want to know the why behind whatever decision is you're making. So I want you to intentionally use the word because as you're explaining how how decisions are made. It will make the difference in people understanding and being compliant and being on board and in, you know, positively influenced by the, uh, you know, the decision or the announcement that you're making. So that's your, your bonus technique for, from today's session is using the word because. All right, so there you have it. Some of my ideas on how to talk to employees about returning to the office. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back next week with a regular episode of the Working Conversations podcast. Until... Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations. Till then, be well.